Our reading is in Psalm 27 this morning. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. And we're going to read the whole thing. So Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have at one sorry, one thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the, under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have helped, have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Here ends the reading. Well, good morning. How you guys all doing? Good? I heard a woo. That's awesome. That's, you don't usually get that every Sunday morning, right? Um, Whatever you're drinking, I want some, right? Um, so here's the deal. Uh, I'll never forget when, uh, when my... I just turned it off. Okay, now it's back on. Let's just start over, right? How you guys all doing this morning? Great? Oh, my word. Everybody's doing awesome. It's so much better. All right. Uh, so anyway, so I remember when I was like a number of years ago, and, and Grace, our oldest daughter, was about two or three, and she's on the edge of the pool, and I'm in the pool, and I am looking at her, and I've got my arms out, and I'm telling her, sweetie, jump, right? And you know, for her to jump, she has to know at least a couple things about me, right? She's got to know one, that like I'm for her, like I actually like her, okay? Have to be sure of that. But not only that, has to be sure that I'm actually able to catch her, right? Because if I don't, she's two, she's three or whatever it is, and it, you know, she, she hasn't had swimming yet, you know? And so I've done that with each of my three kids, and every time you do that, it's this exercise of trust. Um, I'm sure many of you guys have stood on the the picnic table, right? You've crossed your arms 
You've looked over your shoulder at six to eight of your peers, and you're wondering, how did I ever get here, right? And you got to just fall back. And you have to know, are these people reliable? Are these people truthful? Are they really going to catch me? Are they, are they good? Are they for me? It's an exercise of trust. You know, but this whole idea of trust, it, you know, it's more than obviously just jumping into the arms of a dad. It's more than just falling back and that sort of exercise. Think about how this works out in all of your relationships. Think about your family. Think about your coworkers. Think about your friends. In all those relationships, you are figuring out through various algorithms, right? Are they truthful? Are they reliable? Are, are they good? In other words, can I, can I trust them? And then, of course, we get to the, the dynamics of our text today, and the object is not a dad. It's, it's, it's not um, a bunch of coworkers. It's not friends. It's not family. It's, it's all about trusting God with your entire life. And the same questions are asked, right? Is he good? Is he reliable? Is he worthy of my trust? And some of you this morning, you know, you're here and, and you're curious, you're skeptical about matters of faith. You perhaps are not even sure if there is a God. And it's kind of hard to trust if you don't even think that this God even exists, right? But perhaps you're leaning in for a season and you're wondering, could I trust God? You know, others of you, you have a deep conviction that, yeah, I believe there's a God, but I'm just not sure he's reliable. I mean, have you looked around, right? Could, could I really trust him with my life? And others of you, <laughs> you know, like you have a deep conviction that yes, there is a God and yes, he's reliable and yes, he's true. But the reality is right in our lives, we are filled with anxiety and we are filled with fear. And there's perhaps in more days than not, maybe in other seasons or maybe now where you've asked the question, God, what are you up to? So, no matter where you're coming from this morning, Psalm 27, this text, its purpose is designed to give fearful, doubting, anxious, skeptical people confidence to trust God in all of their life. Let me say it again. Psalm 27 is designed to give fearful, doubting, anxious, Skeptical people, confidence to trust God in all of their life. So let me pray, and then we'll continue to jump in. 
So God, we come to you this morning, and uh, honestly, if we were to take a poll right now, um, it wouldn't be 100% we trust you. (laughs) None of us would say that. There are perhaps huge questions about who you are, huge questions about whether you're reliable. Some of us are walking through enormous seasons of challenge, and we're asking the question, are you worthy of our trust? And God, just pray today as we dive into this psalm that you would meet us here, that wherever we're coming from, you would help us to click closer to having confidence to trust you. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. (coughs) So here's the deal. So I want to take a mental note as we begin this morning, and I want you to think about in your life what right now is causing you the most amount of anxiety. What in your life is causing you the most amount of fear? If the author of Psalm 27, David, were here, and he had a piece of paper, and he was writing down what would cause him, what is, what is causing him the most amount of fear, he would write the word adversary. We see in our text, throughout our text, especially in verse 12, for example, he says, Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. Um, David is not having a good day. Um, There are a group of people around him that are misrepresenting him with their words. There are people around him that are slandering him with their words. He is not in a safe spot. And yet, what I want you to understand something is, in the midst of that aspect of his life, in which, honestly, he has very little control of, he pens Psalm 27. And I don't know if you caught it, but when Sam was reading Psalm 27, the the beginning of Psalm 27 is like this explosion of trust. Look with me for a moment at just some of the things that David says in verses 1 to 6. Twice he says to begin in verse 1, Whom shall I fear? Whom will I be afraid of? And they're rhetorical. The answer is none. He drops scenarios of evildoers coming at him, metaphorically eating up his flesh. He, he, he talks about an army coming against him. He says, my heart shall not fear. He says, you know, even if war ends up happening, yet even then I will be confident. In verse 6, he's, he's so confident in God that he's saying, hey, someday my enemies, they're going to be under me because God is going to overcome this thing. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to party. I'm going to sing. We're going to have a celebration. It hasn't happened yet, but I'm so confident. It's amazing the confidence that David has. There was, a, there was a recent study done at Northwestern University in which they were trying to figure out, are there certain songs that boost confidence? And um, the results of that study found that songs like 
50 cents, 50 cent, sorry, I said it right, into club, if you listen to that, you are more confident than if you listen to songs of less bass, like We Will Rock You by Queen. So you might want to switch your playlist tomorrow morning as you go to work or wherever you go, you know, just to think about that one. It was, it was more bass equals more confidence. Psalm 27, <laughs> it's got heavy bass, okay? Heavy bass. And, and not like heavy bass, like confidence in yourself, but it is designed to give you confidence in God. That's the purpose. In the midst of whatever you're facing, to give you confidence in God. Not, not, just, not just a feeling, not just some hype, like, hey, this would be really great, like, just, you know, escape. No, we're talking about real confidence. And as you begin, I don't know, as I was l- looking at this text, the question for me was always like, David, so you've got people coming after you. You've got people saying things about you. Like, how can you be so confident? How can you write these words down? How can you say this? So, in order to understand trust, let me ask you a question. Who, who in your life right now has the highest level of trust for you. I asked it to a number of my coworkers this week. Um, got a variety of answers. I got one said myself, one said a parent, one said a spouse, one said a brother. Um, people that have, for whatever reason, that's where their highest trust is found. Now, now think about this for a moment. Whatever, whoever came to mind for you, let me ask you this. Why do you trust them with that highest level? What is it about them that commends them to you to trust? As I thought about this, when I think about, like, and for me, like, just straight up, like, on this earth, it's my wife Amanda, like, no doubt in my mind of her fidelity, devotion, love, wisdom. Is she perfect? No, but she's amazing. You know, like high, high trust. There's no one else. And the reason why I trust her and the reason why whoever came to your mind you can trust, I would say is this because you have personal, intimate knowledge of who they are. You know, you, you know their character. You, you know them. You've seen them. You've observed them. And because of their character and whoever they are, that in terms of why you trust them, it, it's, it's deemed themselves worthy in some manner. They've proven to be reliable in situations, right? They've proven to be for you in situations. And let me say this. The, the same reason that you might trust whoever that might be is actually the same reason why David can be so confident in this situation is because all of this confidence is rooted in his knowledge of who God is. It's rooted in the knowledge of who God is. And, and I want to, this morning, I want to I break this knowledge down in two different categories. And I think it's, I'm, I'm pretty sure, been looking at this text for a, a couple weeks, I'm pretty sure it's there, Okay. But I want to suggest that there's this knowledge of God in his mind, of who God is, 
but it doesn't just stay in his mind. There's a knowledge of God in his heart. It's both and. And, and look with me for a moment at who he says God is. This is where he derives his confidence. Verse 1, he says, The Lord is my, who is God? My light. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. He's describing God. This is who God is. This is what God is like. So he says, God, you're my light. Like, what does that mean? Well, light is this imagery that drives all darkness away. It's, it's, light is what revives and, <clears throat> and flourishes things. It is light so that we can see where we're going. I'll never forget when we moved here five years ago, I worked downtown State Street Starbucks and I would most of the year ride my bike and there'd be mornings where I would open and I would head out and um, our, our street was lit and I'd head out about three or four blocks and it'd be like five o'clock in the morning and I'd get about like eight minutes on my ride and all of a sudden I'd realize I completely forgot my bike light. And I'd have to get on the Southwest Commuter Trail. Like, it's hard to see your hand there at five o'clock in the morning. And I, and I remember just riding, just looking for any light anywhere, you know? And finally, I remember I just got my iPod and I just kept on flicking it on like this. I didn't have the flashlight thing or whatever like that. It was just like right in front of me. That was my light. See, some of you right now, you're walking in dark times. And you need a light. And, and David is commending to us, God is my light. But not only that, David says, God is my stronghold. And, and a stronghold, that, that physically, it was a building or a tower that you would run to when someone who opposed you would just easily overcome you. It was a place to run to get, to be safe. And David knew firsthand, if you look at the life of David, there was one particular season, for example, in which he's running from King Saul, and Saul is unjustly trying to kill David. And at one point, he runs to a stronghold. And so when, he, when, when David says, God's my stronghold, like, he's been there, physically. And he's saying, God, you're like that. And, you know, we haven't... Perhaps, like, I mean, I haven't been in a war, you know, so I don't know, like, what it feels like to go into a, a stronghold, but growing up in the Midwest, like, like just tornadoes, you know, like, um, tornado warnings, tornado sirens, when those things go off, you know, it, like, you know, your heart rate goes a little bit, and what do you do? Well, I just always remember, like, we always go down to, the, to our cubby hole, like, in the basement, you know, you find a safe spot, and even though those sirens are going, when you got into that spot, like, my heart rate changed. Why? Because I felt safe. That if something hit, that I was in a safe enough spot where I'd be okay. See, if you're walking in a season of life where you're just not sure, I just don't feel safe, I'm just anxious, there's so many things happening, David is commending God as a stronghold. 
But not only that, David says that God is his salvation. And James May, a commentator, um, he puts it this way. It'll be up there. He says his salvation is intervention that makes life possible in the face of all that threatens, weakens, and corrupts life. The, the term salvation, it is a robust term. We're, we're talking not just physical, not just spiritual, not just social, not just emotional. We're talking the whole gambit. And David, he's looking around at those who are misrepresenting and slandering him in this situation. And he's saying, God, you are my salvation. You are the one who can rescue me. You are the one who can rescue me from my, from my reputation, which is being dragged through the mud. You are the one who can rescue me so that these words, whatever they lead to, even there, you will be there. See, David, David is commending a God who will rescue us. Where do you need to be rescued this morning? David is commending this God. He has confidence in this God because he knows who God is. And I, I want to just for a moment hit on this for a little bit because Listen, it matters. It matters who you think God is. It really matters. A.W. Tozer said this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Like, back up the truck a minute, Tozer. Did you just say that's the most important thing? He did. Like, how about them apples, right? Like, seriously, he just said that. He's saying nothing else is more important than this. And when the question comes, who is God? What comes into your mind? That's a big deal. I mean, think about for a moment. If, If trust is built on knowing someone, And it's so important that you know who they are and that you think appropriately and rightly and correctly about who they are. One of the reasons why we fear, why we are afraid, right, is because we have a wrong perception, a wrong belief in who God is. And, you know, here's the deal. In in our culture today, you know, we live in a culture that says it, it doesn't matter what you believe about God as long as you're sincere. And the problem with that statement, the problem with that belief is that we don't operate in any of our other relationships like that. I mean, how many of us have had, we've had beliefs about who people are, and we think this is who they are, and you are sincere in that belief, and then you get around them, you understand, that is not who they are. Like, I was wrong in in my assessment of them. It is entirely possible Listen to me. It's entirely possible to hold sincere beliefs about God and be sincerely wrong. And if you're going to trust God, 
like seriously, with all of your life, you have to know who he is. The only reason why David has confidence in God is because why? Because he knows who God is. He's saying he's my light and he's my salvation and he is the stronghold of my life. This isn't hype. This is who God is. There's another aspect that we need to hit on about this knowing because it's, it's not just right thinking, okay? It, it's, not, it's not just right thinking. Notice how David is, he personalizes this knowledge. Notice how he says, God is my light and my salvation and the stronghold of my life. In other words, David has more than just textbook knowledge about God. It's more than just textbook. Um, He has personal, intimate knowledge that I would just say goes to the heart. It's not just the mind. It goes to the heart. You know, one of the reasons why he does, this is incredible. He doesn't fear, not only because he knows God is a light or a salvation or a stronghold because he has this deep assurance that he belongs to this God. It's so incredible. He has this deep assurance that he belongs to God. That's why he can say, my light and my salvation, the stronghold of my life. He has deep assurance that I am his and he is mine. And I don't know about you, but um, <laughs> I can wholeheartedly agree with the, with the propositional statements of this text that God is a light, that he is a stronghold, that he is salvation, and yet, isn't that true? Do you not, do you not relate to where I sit sometimes where I'm still racked with anxiety and fear? And it's because I lack the assurance that I still really belong to him. In other words, it's entirely possible to think right thoughts about God and yet still remain unmoved, unchanged, still lacking assurance. Uh, David's confidence in this moment, it fills both his mind and his heart. And the question is, you know, (laughs) if that's true, if that's how trust is built, in, in knowing someone, in mind and heart, knowing they're reliable, knowing they're good, then perhaps the question next is, well, h- how do we grow in that? Or how do we obtain that? How do we find that? And there's this, there's this clue, I think, in this text that describes what happens, at least, this experience of what happens in the mind and heart. It's in verse 4. He, David he says, one thing have I asked the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And this is the, this is the part, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. To gaze upon the beauty. Um, think for a moment of the last thing that, is, that has been beautiful to you. Uh, so in our house, we have this kind of running game at our house where 
our kids will go to bed and we have this sleep contest. And uh, it's who can be the cutest sleeper, okay? It sounds funny, but it just, it didn't like, you know, we didn't like read a book on this or anything. It just kind of organically happened, right? There's no book on this. This is ridiculous, right? Um, but we'll go in after their sleep and we'll just, you know, I think Amanda sometimes gives one of them a couple of them a kiss goodnight or whatever. And, but we, we look at them and our kids are sleeping. And, and there are moments, of course, where it's like, you know, mouths open or, you know, it's like, oh, you're not winning this one tonight, you know. But uh, there are other times, right, where I can't describe it for you. But I totally forget. Like, I wonder, like, it, it might have been a bad day, and they didn't really listen really well. And it's like, once I see that, like, it's game over. Like, I forget everything that happened that day, and all of a sudden, I am endeared to them, right? Or whatever has been forefront on my mind uh, for the day or perhaps the next day, like, when I catch a glimpse of, like, Elise or Sam or Grace, and I don't know, they might be like this, or I, whatever it might be, I can't describe it, but my heart, is captured in those moments. Like, I can't, I can't describe it to you. I just know it. There's something about when I get a glimpse of their beauty. And David is saying, this is what's happening. I am encountering God in such a way that no longer is it just head knowledge, but all of a sudden I am just, I'm captured. You may have had an opinion, right, that God is holy or God is gracious, but it is entirely different, right, to, to be captured by it. In our text, David says that he would go to the house of the Lord, um, this tabernacle, this was the place where God had established since the time of the Exodus, Moses, that his presence would be. This is where you went. This is where heaven and earth would descend. And not that God is not everywhere, but his special presence was there. This is where you went. And David says, this is where I go to gaze. And so the question would be, well, where, where, where do we go, Right? David went there, where, where do we go? And about 900 years after this was written, there's a man named John. And in his eyewitness account, upon walking with Jesus of Nazareth for over three plus years, here, here's what he writes to open up his account of who Jesus is. This is John 1.14. He says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And underneath that word dwelt is the word tabernacle. What, what John is suggesting is that if you want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, then you look to his presence and he is saying a very weighty, theologically confusing, and yet nevertheless amazing truth that God has put on flesh and literally moved into the neighborhood. He has shown up in space, time, in history. 
John is saying, if you, if you want to know what God is like in all his fullness, then you look to Jesus. But that's exactly what he's like. In other words, if you want to know God, not just abstractly, but personally, then, then it comes to looking and gazing at Jesus. You know, in our text, and David says that um, he describes God as the God of my salvation. And the first time that that is used in the Old Testament is when God's people come out of Egypt through the Red Sea and are looking on the shoreline at the entire army of the Egyptians destroyed by God. And they sing this song and they say, for the first time, you are the God of my salvation. Exodus 15, 2, they make a song about it. They're so amazed. They stand in awe. David, he looked back and he knew this is who God is. This is what he's done in space, time, and history. But let me tell you what. When John writes, he writes to where all of that was pointing, to a greater rescue. You see, all the Gospels, what, what do they do? They all land with this Amazing notion that Jesus didn't just come and wasn't just an amazing teacher. He didn't just lead an amazing life. He actually died on a cross. So if, if you want to know God is holy, then you, you look there. Because that's, that's what sin does. That's what sin has to be done to be taken care of. If you want to see God as loving, then you look there, right? Because that's where you see him not giving a few coins or a few dollars, but giving his own son so that we might have a relationship with him. If you want to see grace, you look there because you understand that God sees everything in who you are and yet would do that to rescue you from the dominion of sin. And then he rose three days later to defeat death. See, this is, see, Exodus 15, that's all a foreshadowing. That's all a picture of there's something coming. There's something coming, and Jesus shows up, and he does that. And let me tell you what, if David, I mean, this is, this is where you have to start thinking. Like, if David can have confidence in God, and he knew this about God, then how much more, right, should we know and have confidence in God being our light. Like if David could say, God is my salvation, and then we get to look at the, and be struck at the beauty of Christ. How much more can we say, God, you are my salvation. Jesus, you are my salvation. See, this is the offer this morning. See, if you're not a Christian, like you understand something, Christianity is not like, I'm better than most people. I'm going to try and do better and then hopefully someday like, I'll end up and God will accept me. It's not it at all. Christianity is completely the opposite. It begins with you going, actually, I've got this huge problem. I may not be fully aware of it, but there is sin that is rooted deep within me. There is self-sufficiency. There is a, a, an, an inwardness, a self-servingness in my life and it plays itself out in a million different ways but that God has come after you in the personal work of Jesus so you might have a relationship with him and it's by faith that you put your trust in him. See, some of you this morning, you may look around and go, I need to be rescued from this situation and this situation. And the scriptures would say the main storyline is you need to be rescued from your sin and come into a relationship with this God who loves you and would do that to save you. 
And when you know that, guess what? Like David, you can be like, um, I got some problems over here. You know, there's people talking about me. My, my, my reputation's on the line. But you know what? Because he's done that. God, Jesus, you are my salvation. You are my light. You are my stronghold. John writes at the end of his gospel, he writes this. He goes, I wrote this whole account so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And I would just say this morning, if you are not a Christian, this is, this is the offer. Like, like this is straight up what it's about. You want to know who God is, you go to Jesus. And, and, and perhaps this morning it's like, I, I don't know much about him. Well, then my encouragement to you is uh, work at getting to know him, begin reading. Perhaps it's John's account, perhaps it's another account, but it's, it's got to start somewhere. If you're wondering, okay, could I ever trust God with my life? Start in one of the Gospels. Look in at who God claims to be in the person and work of Jesus. Wrestle with that. Um, I, I want to follow up for a moment because some of you uh, you've, you've, you've done this. You've put your trust in Jesus and yet, right, you're like me, you wrestle with the events and situations of your life and there are moments of anxiety and fear and you're sitting there going like, what do I do? Like, I don't know, whatever David's drinking, like I want some of that because this is an amazing picture. He's so confident in God. How do I, how do I work that out? And, um, one of the things that is clear about Psalm 27 is that trust is not like a static thing. It's, it's not like a passive exercise, you know? Like um, David speaks of going to the temple, gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. But what would he have seen there? What would he have done there? Well, he would have encountered various things. He would have encountered, he, he would have put himself in spots where he would have heard about who God is and what he'd done. He would have heard the scriptures read. He would have been in the midst of a community where, where they're figuring out who God is and what it meant for them to follow him at that time, at that space. It was, it was not an individualistic project. It was a community project. So, so let me say this. When, when we started this and I said, what's most anxious in your life right now? What's most fearful? Where are you lacking in confidence in God? And my next question would be, who are you working that out with? So, so my encouragement, you know, some of you are just new stepping in here and perhaps like showing up on a Sunday, like that's a new thing, like that's a big thing, right? And we're so glad you're here. And maybe for you, it just means, I, I want to I have a regular rhythm of coming and coming under the teaching of God's word. Coming each week, just trying to figure out, hey, who are you, God? Can I trust you? Some of you, you've been around here for a while and, 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 and we would just say it, it means working itself out in the context of a city group. Getting a group of other people who are trying to figure this out, what it looks like to trust God in all of life. Um, it, it can mean a number of different things, but, but my encouragement for you this morning is to nurture and strengthen that trust. It, it just means doing it together. 
around God's word, with God's people. Okay, so here's the deal. <laughs> We've gone through like the first six verses, right? So um, we're not going to hit the rest, but I th- here's the deal. I'm, I'm okay with that, and here's why. Because all the rest are rooted in this first part. Because what happens the rest of the time is rather than David like checking out and watching Netflix and just being anxious, okay, about his situation, okay? Rather than David just turning inward and just being in a dark spot, because he knows who God is, he, he prays. He says, God, be gracious to me. Save me from this. Rescue me from this. He, he just prays. Like, this confidence in God, it gets lived out in actually speaking to God about the very circumstances you face. So perhaps tonight or this afternoon, maybe one of the points of application is reading through Psalm 27. And it's in those last seven to eight verses, you begin to say, God, I need your help here. Be gracious to me. Hear my prayer. Don't turn away. And you just simply lay it out. Like, <laughs> like that's paint with color. Like, that's what it means, right? It's just... God, will you do this? Or perhaps it's grabbing someone else and saying, hey, will you do this with me? Because I, I don't know if I've got this strength to actually pray and ask this. I need some others who have walked with God. Like, that's what it means to work this out. I love what um, Martin Luther, the reformer, he wrote this. He said this, pray and let God worry. I usually flip that one, right? (laughs) So, here's the deal. Um, Let me just land here this morning. So, June 17th, nine African-American churchgoers were killed by a white shooter. And in the days that followed, one of the things that happened throughout that whole event was the question about the Confederate flag. I mean, it's still on the, I mean, you, you know this, right? You're not under a rock. So a number of days later, there's this girl, Bree Newsom, and she doesn't want to wait for the legislature and everybody to figure it out. She goes to the state capitol's grounds, climbs the pole. She knows that she faces several thousand of dollars of fines, potentially up to three years in jail. Do you know on the way down what she did? These are her words. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? That's what she said on the way down the flagpole to get cuffed. When I think about Redeemer City and our vision to see the city of Madison renewed by the gospel,
it really means walking in confidence in with, in, with, with this God in the various rhythms of life that perhaps are not as public, perhaps a little bit more simple, but nevertheless meaningful because of who they're done for and why they're done. And that we might draw confidence to live it out in the week to come and the weeks to come. So let's pray. So Father, uh, we, we come as people who are trying to figure out, trying to work out the fears, anxieties, and we want to trust. And, and God, we just pray. We ask you to give grace and strength, even today, your word, that it would move us beyond the fear and anxiety that we face. And I pray as well um, for those here who have not yet figured out exactly, hey, who, who are you? What does it mean for my life to trust you? And who is this Jesus? And I, I pray that you would provide avenues and steps and that you would reveal yourself more and more in those situations. And we ask this in your name. Amen.